You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. So we're in the middle of the end. Maybe I should phrase that another way. Take a minute. We're in the middle of our current series, which began last weekend, which is titled The End. And as we launched into that series last week, we began to talk about the fact that for centuries there has been great um, fascination, speculation, um, uh, opinion about what's going to happen in the end and, and, and what is the end going to look like. And the problem with that fascination, that speculation, is that the speculation has often led to confusion, it's led to um, anxiety, and it's, it's led to fear many times. But what we discovered is because our hope is in Jesus Christ, we don't have to be confused We don't have to be anxious and we don't have to be fearful because we have the assurance of hope, again, through Jesus Christ. Uh, We looked last weekend at a passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe verses 13 through 18. Uh, I think that's what it was. And um, we saw that what what had happened is it's a passage that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. Uh, He had spent just a little bit of time with the church in Thessalonia and um, in doing so, while he was there, one of the things that he emphasized, and rightly so, was he emphasized the return of Jesus Christ. And so they embraced the fact that Jesus is coming back. Maranatha, he's coming, and he's coming soon. They really believed it was soon. They really embraced Maranatha. So they believed, and, and rightly so, I, I, there wasn't a fault with what they believed, but that his coming was imminent. In other words, there were no prophecies that needed to be fulfilled. There were no the signs that needed to be fulfilled. He was coming, and he might come at any moment. And I can say this morning, actually, that's true. He could come at any moment. Um, as they embraced that belief, they also had concern, some concern. They had loved ones who had accepted Christ as Savior, who had died, and they were concerned that when Jesus returns, they were going to be left out. In other words, they were going to meet Jesus, but those who had died, they're just it's kind of sorry for you, you know, but we're going to go and you're not. And so Paul, from that, addressing that concern, that's what he wrote in this passage, and he gave them that assurance that comes through Jesus Christ. Um, and so what he told them is, uh, you don't need to grieve like people who don't have hope, because our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ, and um, they're not going to be left out. In fact, they're going to meet Jesus before you do. And then in, in uh, chapter, verse 17 of that chapter, he explained what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. He said there's going to be a, a shout, a loud command. The archangel is going to declare he's coming, and then the trumpet of God will sound. And then what happens? He said, and then the dead in Christ, those who are already passed on, they're going to be resurrected first. And then those who are alive and remain will be snatched up, sneezed, rescued, uh, and everybody will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. He said, so you don't have to worry. You can have hope. And what we realized through the message last week is that that message was not just for the Thessalonians. That was not just a message of hope for the church of Thessalonica, but we have that same hope today. And so we looked at our hope, and our hope is the same. It was three aspects of our hope. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Maranatha, he is coming, and he's coming soon. 
And then we recognize that our hope is in the rapture. Um, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. But the scripture says that those who are still alive and remain who are in Christ are going to be caught up with the resurrected. And we're going to meet Christ in the air, which leads to the fact the third aspect of our assurance is that we will be uh, joined with him and we will live in union with him forever throughout eternity. Isn't that a great reason to have hope and to know that that hope is founded in Jesus Christ? Would you join me. Can we just thank God through applause for that? Thank you, Father. Well, today, uh, as we move on, um, I want to get a bit more personal. And if you just said, oh, no, what does that mean? I'm not going to get all up in your business. I'm, I'm really not. But what I want to talk about is the end in relation to us personally. What does the end, how, how does that all play out for us as individuals? Um, how does that, what does that look like in our life? And so our personal reality is that um, the end is coming. It's, it's undeniable. The end is coming. Um, whether it's Jesus Christ coming back for his church or the end of our life, Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes, all of us will have to face one of two kinds of judgment. That will happen at two different times. That's, that's a reality. It cannot be denied. Um, how do we know this is true? How can we know? Well, I want you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture. It's going to be really easy to find. It's actually the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And it's here that we find assurance that Jesus is coming. And we actually find assurance that um, uh, there, there are judgments that, are, that have to be faced. So... Um, we're going to read this together. You can turn there. It's going to be on the screens, or you can swipe on your phone. But when I say go, I want you to begin with me in verse 12. Are you ready? Let's go. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So right away, we can see we draw from that scripture the fact that Jesus is the soon and coming king. He is coming again. It, there's, it's, uh, it's undeniable. Uh, we can see that when he comes, he's bringing reward with him. And we see that not only is he bringing reward, but he is the rewarder. He is the one who is going to be distributing the rewards. And then finally in the verse, we see him in his sovereignty. He says, I am the beginning and the end. So when God, think about it, when God created the universe, he spoke through the Word, and the Word was Jesus, and the world, the universe, came into existence simply because He spoke through the Word, Jesus Christ. And in His sovereignty, He will also be the one who declares when the end is coming. So, um, how, how do we know this, though? Uh, how do we know this? Jesus declares that the end is coming, and when He comes... There will be two different judgments at two different times. But still, how do we know that? Because really, I didn't read anything quite like that in those two verses, in, in verses 11 and, or 12 and 13. Um, so I want to take you back a verse earlier, and I want to I read to you verse 11. And I think it's here where we get the insight. It says, Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right, and let him who is holy continue to be holy. Then Jesus speaks, and he says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. 
So when we take chapter or verse 11 into consideration with uh, verses 12 and 13, uh, we see that there's a description of two groups of people. And those two groups of people are first the believers who are the righteousness of God through Christ. Uh, those are the good, the righteous ones. But there's another group, and Scripture actually refers to those people as the vile or the evil people. In other words, they are the group that has refused God's provision of salvation. And again, the Scripture says that each group will receive according to what's coming to them. They will receive just reward. And so, uh, in, in thinking about that, we have to recognize that uh, not only will God judge... Uh, not only will we become before the judgment seat, but we have to trust that God is a just God. He's a fair God, and as a just, fair God, he will judge fairly. We don't have to worry about, is he going to get it right? Because he cannot do anything but act in justice. And that's important as we move on throughout that this morning. Um, So what we want to do this morning is just take some time, and we're going to talk about two judgment seats. The two judgment seats in Scripture. And the first judgment seat we're going to talk about is the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to spend most of our time there. And then we're going to follow that up. And we're going to talk about something called the great white throne of judgment. So we're going to start. We're going to move right into it. And we want to talk first about the judgment seat of Christ. And um, in order to understand the judgment seat of Christ, perhaps the best way to do it is ask the question, what is it? What is the judgment seat of Christ? And perhaps the best way to begin to understand that is to define what it is not. So here's what I want to say to all of us this morning. It is of utmost importance that we all understand that um, our entrance into heaven is not qualified by what we do. It's not qualified by how good our works are. Our qualification for heaven is that we have relationship with Jesus Christ. We were lost. We were separated from God by our sin. We had a recognition of that. And we said, God, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus died in my place. He was the acceptable sacrifice for sin. Jesus come into my heart. And at that moment, Scripture says we become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new is coming. We start life over at that point. And we are called what is the righteousness of God in Christ. We stand before God justified through Jesus Christ. That's undeniable. So uh, that's how we gain interest into heaven, not by our good works. However, it is also important that we understand that how we live our life on this earth will determine what our reward is in heaven. How we live our life on earth will determine how we are rewarded when we get to heaven. Um, I don't typically tell jokes. I just want to tell you that on the front side. But I have a joke I want to tell you this morning. It's, it's related. In a moment, you might say, I understand why you don't typically tell jokes. Okay? So uh, have grace on me. Um, this is what I heard. Uh, two men died at the same time. One was a pastor. One was a taxi cab driver. And so uh, because they died at the same time, they actually arrived in heaven at the same time. Uh, St. Peter met them at the gate. Not just the gate, but the pearly gate, right? When you refer to heaven, for some reason, we have to call it the pearly gate. And um, as they came in, they were welcomed. And so uh, St. Peter speaks to the, uh, to the pastor first, and he says, Welcome. We were expecting you. We are so glad you're here. We've been preparing for you. We have a home for you, a new home. It's just around the corner. It's a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath, ranch-style home. And the pastor said, Oh, okay. And then he said to the, uh, to the taxi cab driver, 
welcome. We're so glad you're here. We've been expecting you and we've been preparing for you. We have your new home. It's over here on the other side. And you have a seven-bedroom, five-bath mansion that's overlooking the Crystal Sea. And the pastor said, wait, what is up with this? I have given my entire life to serving you, serving God and and loving on people and doing all the things that I'm supposed to do. And I get a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath ranch, and he gets a seven-bedroom mansion, five bathrooms overlooking the Crystal Sea. What is up with this? And St. Peter said, well, what you get when you get here is based on uh, the results you produced while you were on earth. And pastor, when you taught, people slept. But when the taxi cab driver drove, people prayed. <laughs> you just lifted my self-esteem so much. I probably will tell another joke every once in a while. That was great. great. I actually had in my notes to go, but up, boom. That's why I don't tell jokes. So uh, probably should get back to the original question, though. And that's, uh, what is uh, the judgment seat of Christ? Um, the common interpretation of the judgment seat of Christ is that Uh, This is a judgment for believers, and it's not a judgment for salvation or damnation. Again, that was secured through our relationship with Jesus Christ. No other way. Instead, it's a judgment rewarding you for all the good works that you've done. It's a judgment rewarding you for all the good works you did. How do we know this? Why is it not a judgment where there's a verdict handed out? Why instead is it a judgment about reward? Well, a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Love to have you turn there with me. I'm going to read it to you. Um, and I think it gives perfect insight into this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And the, the two words that you want to pay attention to in that, in that verse, that short verse, is uh, judgment seat. And the reason you want to pay attention to it is because of what it means. It's taken from a very ancient Greek word. And in, the, in the original Greek language, that means uh, it's called, the word is bema, B-E-M-A. So oftentimes we refer to the bema seat of Christ. And it's a seat of judgment. So the, in, in ancient Greece, the Bema seat was where a judge sat, and rather than issuing verdict, he issued awards. So uh, let's say the, the Olympics, the ancient Olympics. Uh, in, the, in that time, uh, so somebody's going to win the race, right? So the, the race is run, uh, run and there's a winner. And so uh, the, the judge goes, he's at the Bema seat, and he goes and he awards to the runner uh, the prize for having been the first to finish. That's, that's his reward. That's, that's what he does. And so uh, it's the same concept that when we go before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going before the Bema seat of Christ. And it's not about a verdict of judgment. It's not damnation. It's not about whether or not we were saved. But it's about the works that we've done while we're here on earth. I think an imperfect picture would be modern-day Olympics. Think about a modern-day Olympics. Um, so they run the race, and um, there's one winner, but actually there's three winners, right? Gold, silver, bronze. And so remember the pedestals, different heights, and the gold one's the highest. And so uh, they step up on the pedestal. The national anthem of the country who won begins to play, and someone, we're going to say it's the judge, steps from the Bema seat, and he places 
uh, a, a medallion around the neck of the winner. And it's, a, it's an imperfect picture, but it's somewhat of what gives us an idea of what it'll be like uh, when we receive our, re, our reward. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a Bema seat of judgment. So when will it happen? We know a little bit now about what it is, but, but when will it happen? If you remember last week, we said we cannot build a theology of end times on uh, fascination, speculation, or opinion. That's not the way we're supposed to do it. Um, uh, and this, this whole concept, this biblical truth of the Bema seat or the, the judgment seat of Christ is actually a place where those three things could converge and again cause fuge, confusion, irritation, frustration, argument, debate, whatever it might be. So last week we said uh, we're going to let Scripture talk for itself. In other words, the best way to interpret Scripture is to let Scripture interpret itself. And so I want us to look at a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, and again, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, it gives us a perfect picture of uh, what this is going to look like. Um, Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot pay you, uh, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So remember, when Jesus told a parable, he was telling a story to represent a truth. And so it's very important when we see in this phrase, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, let's look back to last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. It's again, and I've referred to this already, but it's when uh, Paul describes how Jesus is coming back. So there's a shout, the loud command. There's the, the, the announcement of the archangel. Jesus is coming, and then the trumpet blows. And then what it says next in verse 17, it says, and then the dead in Christ will rise. So then we look here at the last verse I just read. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The dead in Christ, those are the righteous in Christ who have died. So you begin to put uh, a timeline together uh, when you connect these two passages of Scripture. So what it causes us to believe is there's a, there's a, a, a loud command, a shout. There's the archangel's voice. Jesus is coming. And then there's the trumpet. The dead in Christ are raised, the righteous in Christ. And then uh, we who remain are caught up to meet him. And then it would appear from what we read here that then we move on to the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. At least that's how I would interpret. That's not my opinion, but how I would interpret Scripture using Scripture. So um, it appears that the judgment seat of Christ will take place shortly after the resurrection of the dead who are in Christ and the rapture. So um, we've talked about a bit about what it is. When I say a bit, you realize that what we're trying to do is do the whole book of Revelation in 30 minutes each week, and it's just kind of impossible. So we're kind of given an overview. Uh, So we talked about what it is. We've talked about when it will happen. But let's talk just for just a couple of minutes for what will the rewards be like? How will believers be rewarded? And I want to look at another passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm so, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I'm sorry, 
1 Corinthians 3. Let me read this passage to you. Again, gives us insight, beginning in verse 11. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, and when it talks about the day, it's referring to the day of judgment. The day or the judgment day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. So what we see from the passage is that there's only one foundation, right? It's Jesus Christ. It's actually the truth whether you're a believer or a non-believer. But as believers, we have to understand that our foundation is Jesus Christ. That's, you can't change that. Now, we also have to recognize God created us with uh, the ability to choose, right? So according to this passage, the foundation is Jesus Christ, but we get to choose how we build on that foundation. And the, the goal... The hope is that we would make a right choice and we would build with materials that will survive the test of time. Uh, and we talk about, you know, he's, he's gold and silver. We're talking about materials, but in a spiritual nature. And if, and if, if you build with those materials, uh, it'll go through the fire. And if it survives, the reward is coming. But he says, if you build with something different, it doesn't survive the fire. You don't lose your salvation, but the reward's not there. And so... We, we see that the reward, again, is based on what happens uh, on the day. On the day, we are judged for what we've done while we're here on the earth. The day will bring it to light. Well, what will those rewards look like? Are they, um, are they medallions, like in the, in, the, uh, in the Olympics? Are they um, trophies? Are they plaques? You know, we live in a time where everybody gets a trophy now, Right. Here's what's interesting. Remember we said God is a just God. He's a fair God. You know what that means? God doesn't give everybody a trophy. Just think about it. Maybe we should all take that example in sports and whatever. Little League. Just a little side note there. Just a little side note. Um, Scripture actually, it's not going to be any of those things because Scripture refers to those rewards as crowns. So when when we go before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to receive, receive crowns. And when we receive those crowns, it's not so I can get the crown and put it on my head and go, oh, look at my crown. It's so great. Or I had so many crowns, he had to give me an extra bag to carry the other ones in. Uh, it, it, there's, there's not a pride in it because actually Scripture says that what we're going to do is we're going to take those crowns and we're going to lay them back at the feet of Jesus because we're so thankful for what he's done. But there are five crowns that are identified in Scripture uh, they're going to come up on the screens. I'm going to give them to you. We're not going to go in depth in these. I just want to give them to you. I think this would be a great Bible study at home. I'm going to give you the, the um, scripture references. So what are the five crowns? The first crown is the incorruptible crown for those who run a faithful race. The incorruptible crown. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. There's the crown of rejoicing, and that's given to those who share their faith. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. 
There's the crown of righteousness. We talked about this last week for those who long for his returning. 2 Timothy 4, 8. Maranatha. Uh, I love the next one. Uh, the crown of glory for faithful pastors. Uh, I want that crown. I'm going to give it back to Jesus. Um, it's in uh, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 5. Uh, here's what I do want to say about that. I joke a little bit about it, but... Um, as I was studying this week and even this morning, I was prompted that there's something I want to tell you. I actually need to tell you. Um, this crown is for the faithful shepherd. And I, along with Cammie, we work in partnership. Uh, we are committed to you to be a faithful shepherd. We're not committing to perfection, so don't hold us to that. But we're going to love you and we're going to shepherd you as the flock that God has given us. We, t- we don't take that lightly. We take that very seriously. And so we want to come alongside of you. And we want to walk with you through the good times and the difficult times. We want to pray with you and we want to pray for you. Uh, we never want to abuse you, but we want to be the good shepherd. And so know that that is our commitment to you. And I just, I just knew that this morning I needed to say that to you, especially as we're walking through this transition. Because honestly, there could be some of you who are going, hmm, I'm just not sure. I want you to be sure because we love you. We've only been here a short time, but we loved you before we came, and we're going to shepherd you well. Again, please do not hold us to perfection. I will make mistakes. Trust me, I've already made a few, but we're going to do this because God's called us to do it. And it's not because I get a crown, because I'm going to give the crown back to Jesus. Well, um, we've talked about the, the judgment seat of Christ, what it is, when it will take place, and uh, what those rewards will look like, how the believer will be rewarded. We need to spend the last bit of our time, and really we're only going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, something, the great white throne of judgment. And it's something we can't deny. It's part of Scripture. And the basis for this throne is actually found in Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to read this passage to you. It's a very sobering passage. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? Scripture interprets Scripture. There's not a lot of question there. So I'm not going to say much about it because I think it's all here. But here's what I will say. First of all, we can be rest assured this is not a judgment for those who are believers. If you've already accepted Christ, you are not going to face this judgment because your salvation is secured through Jesus Christ. Instead, it's a judgment for everyone who has rejected God's provision of salvation. It's a judgment of those people, and it's also a judgment of how they've lived their life, but it's how they live their non-faith life. 
And the conclusion, based on what the Scripture says, is those who reject God will be eternally separated from Him. Not only will they be separated, listen to this, this isn't a scare tactic, it's just what Scripture said, they will be thrown in a lake of fire. And they will be in a place where there is eternal suffering. If we believe that the Bible is true, and we do, then we cannot reject the purpose and the outcome of this judgment. It's a real judgment. It's going to happen. We can't deny it. It would be real easy for someone to have a response to this judgment by saying, that's not fair. It's really not fair. How You talk about a loving God. Why, why would a loving God allow anyone to suffer for eternity in a lake of fire. I cannot believe it. That is not fair. I refuse to believe it. You know what isn't fair? That Jesus died in our place. He was sinless. He lived a life just like you and I, yet without sin. What if Jesus had have said to God, God, that's not fair. Why are you making me do this? I'm not going to do it. Instead, when he was in the garden and he prayed, he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And because of his willingness to give himself sacrificially, become the sacrificial lamb, because remember, God is a God of justice and fairness. God cannot act in any way except for a just way, a fair way. And that means in God's justice, God required that there be a payment for sin. That payment was a blood sacrifice. Jesus became that acceptable sacrifice. He made his way to the cross. Remember while he was hanging on the cross, some of his last words were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what was happening at that moment? Jesus suddenly knew exactly what it meant to be separated from God. He was in darkness because of our sin. And he, he was calling out, God, where are you? It's because in a very unfair way, he took our sin. He didn't have to but he willingly did it. That wasn't fair, but he did it anyway. I'm so glad he didn't say, I don't want to do this, so I'm not going to. But instead, he provided salvation for you and I. Every Monday morning, as a staff, we sit and we talk about what happened in all of our services, in all of our weekend services. And we do that because we, we want to review and we want to make sure that we're uh, living in effective ministry. God's called us to give our highest and our best. And so we talk about, um, again, not looking for perfection, but just is there something we missed? And last week on Monday as we talked, we recognized that as we started this series, The End, that we missed a great opportunity to uh, offer the gift of salvation to anyone who might be here and not have ever accepted Jesus Christ. And it's very easy uh, in, a, in a group like this, I can look out and I go, you all know Jesus? I know I haven't been here long, but I can see the halos over your head. You just, the way you smile, it's that certain smile that tells me. But I've also learned, never make an assumption. 
You never know what goes on in a person's life. You never know what goes on behind closed doors. Sometimes there are those who have, have talked the talk but have never actually made the connection with Jesus so that they were really walking the walk. And so I realized there might be somebody here today. There may be someone here. And you would say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to say today is your day. It's today. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And um, in the privacy of the room, I just want to ask, and I want you to just be really honest. If there's anyone here and you have never truly asked Jesus into your life as your Savior, and you knew if you died today, the alternative is the judgment that we've just been talking about. And you don't want that to be uh, that you would just uh, raise your hand and say, today's my day. I want to make a change. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is there anybody here? You just lift up your hand. Let your eye catch my eye. Is there anybody? Just look around the room. I'm going to wait a moment. Father, I thank you. I thank you that uh, we are a group of men and women and children who um, have relationship with you and a day will come when we face the end and um, if we have already died we're going to be resurrected with new bodies uh, if we're still here you're going to you're going to seize us you're going to snatch us up and we're going to be caught up to meet you in the air and we're going to um, receive rewards for what we've done while we're here on this earth, not because they earn our salvation, but because you love us so much that you would be willing to give rewards. And Father God, we will willingly place those rewards back at our crowns, back at your feet. Father God, I pray that you give us as a people the balance of understanding where our salvation comes from, but also recognizing that you have called us to a life of good works for your kingdom. I pray that we would engage fully Not because we're trying to earn something, but because we love you and we want to bring as many people along with us as we possibly can. I pray a blessing over this people that you would cause us to continue to desire your coming and that until you come, we will work and we will work for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.